Welcome to the On The Mark podcast, where I'll help you become more well-rounded financially at the intersection of real estate and personal finance. As an avid real estate investor and 20-year mortgage industry veteran with over $2 billion in fundings, I'll help you learn how to build and protect wealth and pass it on to future generations in a way that's easy for all to understand. Um, today, we're going to be talking about how to choose uh, the right financial advisor for your needs and talking about what their role is and, and how to use one most effectively. Um, really appreciate you guys joining us. This um, financial wellness forum is something of a, a passion project for me um, to bring financial literacy and education to those in our community, whether they be real estate professionals, past clients, future clients, and and just about anyone else. So I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, Scott Cahan. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Scott Cahan, I'm a certified financial planner. We're located in New York. Uh, we have an office in Westchester County, Chappaqua, as well as uh, a location in Manhattan. I've been doing this for many, many years, more than I want to remember. Uh, I started my own firm back in 1986 when I realized working for a big firm we could not do the best job for the client, and we've been independent since as a fee-only financial planner, investment management firm, uh, and we help people identify goals, objectives, and plan for their future. That's great, and and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you did just win a pretty special award, so uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage you to boast just a little bit. I know it's not in your DNA, but uh, no, it's, but it's about the award that you just got. Yeah, I, I've been awarded the uh, P. Campaign Junior Award from the Financial Planning Association, which is really an award that they give out to someone uh, usually annually for their work that they've done in the profession, uh, not just about clients, but I, I serve on a board called the uh, Foundation for Financial Planning where we provide funding and, and uh, organizations to work with the underserved populations, with families who've suffered through cancer, military families as well, uh, as well as my involvement with the profession and working on uh, the national and local boards for the organization. And uh, just for the years that I've been around, I, sooner or later, I guess they had to give it to me since I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, from working with you closely uh, with our clients, I can tell you it's not, you, you weren't just awarded that because you're there. Um, Scott, Scott has been a great partner. We, we originally met through the Financial Planning Association that I'm a big proponent of um, for people in the industry. And um, it's a great organization that does a lot of amazing things. And, and Scott's been a, a leader within that group for a long time. So, so Scott, welcome. We are, we are thankful to have you and thank you for sharing your time with everybody to, to share your insight. Um, so, so, uh, for those of you who are joining live, we'd love to hear from you as far as where you're dialing in from. We do have people from all around the country, uh, dialing in today, um, all four corners, so to speak. So, um, uh, if you could put in the Q and a, not the chat, but the Q and a, let us know where you're dialing in from, what city you're, you're in. And if there are any questions that come up or any topics you want to make sure we cover today, um, by all means, pop them in that Q&A, and we will make sure that we get to everything. Uh, if not during the session, then definitely at the end when we'll do uh, a more formal Q&A. Menlo Park. Oh, great. Okay. Boston. Very good. All right. So we've got we've got both coasts represented already in the first 10 seconds of opening that up. Um, so, Scott, one of the things that I noticed and the reason why this particular session is so important to me personally is that you know, being in the mortgage industry, we talk to people about the big financial moves that they're making. And what we often find is that people that are making, especially their first purchase and, and many making subsequent purchases is a major, major financial fork in the road. And what we found is that most people are not getting professional financial advice. So they're making decisions that are based on their own experiences or maybe a family experience. Um, but we really want to bring education to this because I, in my opinion, I use the analogy that the financial advisor is, um, is really the quarterback of somebody's financial profile. And I think people might underestimate the impact that a financial advisor can have uh, in their lives. Um, and I'm a big proponent of getting professional financial advice because it could completely change the trajectory 
of your financial profile, your retirement, and so many other things. So maybe you can explain a little bit about what the role of an advisor is, what different types of topics, you know, or or issues you talk about with your clients, just to kind of give people a broad overview. Yeah. <clears throat> so as a financial planner, um, you know, the, the goal is to help clients plan their future. And, you know, we always describe it, if you want to go from New York to California, uh, or in this case, California to Boston or whatever, uh, in a car, you can get in the car, go, and you may get there, you may get lost, you may break down. If you plan your journey beforehand, though, what stops you want to make? Uh, be prepared in case of a contingency that you break down or you get lost or uh, you want to make a side trip. The roadmap that you put together in advance, that's the financial planning. That's the process. That's your financial journey, as we like to say. The car will get you somewhere. Your investments will get you somewhere. Your tax planning or tax returns, your insurances, estate planning, all of that will get you somewhere. The question is it coordinated where you want to go. And, you know, when with financial planning, planning is a process. People think, oh, it's a one-shot deal. It's really ongoing because think about your lives. How often do things change in your lives? What you thought would happen and all of a sudden, you know, you've thrown a curve, uh, something else happened, good or bad, and that you have to deal with it. And that's where the planning process has to be ongoing. Um, and, you know, the terms out there, and this is where it gets confusing because there's financial advisor, financial planner, financial consultant, investment advisor, you name it, under every term under the sun, and it can be very confusing. And that's why we always tell people look for a certified financial planner because there's certain requirements that a CFP has that others don't. But there's a lot of confusion just in the, I, what I would say is the financial services industry with true financial planning and financial planners are the professional part of the bigger industry, just like a doctor is a professional or a nurse in a medical uh, industry that includes pharmaceuticals and everything else. So that, that's a quick description of you know, planning your journey. And that's where planning, planning comes in. Yeah, I, I really like that analogy. I've actually never heard that before, but uh, driving cross country, there are sites you want to see and experiences you want to have. And if you don't have a plan for them, you're probably going to drive right past them and not even realize you could have enjoyed it. So that's a great analogy. Um, so we, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but maybe you could talk about the different components of what an advisor might advise on, whether it be retirement planning or life insurance, like just the, the components of what a financial plan would look like. Basically, when it's done properly, it's really touching on everything tied to your financial life. So as a financial planner, when we start with a client, we want to look at everything. We want to look at all your insurances, your employee benefits. This is a time of the year people have open enrollment. And many times they're leaving benefits off the table that they didn't think of that could be valuable. Maybe they're underinsured and there's a good way of getting insurance there. Or maybe there's sometimes a legal uh, reimbursement or legal fees that uh, they, the firm will pay you know, for estate planning. So those are just little pieces, but it's really looking at retirement planning, education planning, buying a home, making sure you're insured properly, um, making sure your tax planning is being done. Many times people are using CPAs, but are they doing it just to prepare their tax return or are they planning? And more often than not, it's preparation, estate planning. I can't tell you how often clients with young children have not done their estate planning because they can't figure out who to name as a, a, you know, a guardian for their children if something happens. Uh, so they just figured nothing will happen, but there's things that need to be discussed. And that's basically where we get involved in is talking about everything tied to your financial life. And the last thing I'll say here, we always tell people, ask before you make a decision, because it's easier to help you make the right decision than to try to figure out how to clean up if it was not the right decision. Yeah. And I, th I think you, you touched on one as far as estate planning, which is incredibly important. All of the components there are important, but you hear these horror stories about these people who are ultra wealthy, who did not do any estate planning. I think Prince is a, one of the examples. Um, and, you know, the person passes away and there's no instructions on what they want to, you know, what they're wanted done with their fortune. Even if you don't have a fortune, you still probably want to be able to direct that. So, um, and that's part of, you know, part of the overall financial plan that you put together with an advisor. It's, it's, 
in my opinion, it's just getting all the different, like a financial advisor or, or planner will help you put all these components in order. It'll get your financial life organized and make sure that you're not missing out on those things. And people that don't have estate plans and don't do tax planning can take a major hit, um, you know, if, if things aren't set up properly. Right. And, and one thing I'll add in is, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Mark, uh, a planner is the quarterback of a team. And that's how we view it. We're not attorneys, so we can't provide legal advice, but we can look at estate planning documents to see if they're done properly. There are times we'll, we'll look at documents that a lawyer drafted or the client has signed, and it doesn't meet what the client's trying to do, but it was never reviewed with the client. So at least we can look at that, make sure beneficiaries are in place, make sure documents are in order, working with the accountant to make sure the tax planning is done, working with the insurance agent to make sure that the insurance hasn't been recommended or what we're recommending is appropriate for the client. So it's really a coordinated effort. It's not, you know, there are planners out there who can do it all, but in many cases you have to be careful. Yeah, it's it's there's people in real estate that try to do mortgages and insurance and everything else. It's you know, you're either an expert at one thing or nothing. So in my opinion, but um, now you touched on this briefly about the CFP or certified financial planner designation. Can you explain how that works and what it takes to to obtain that? Yeah. So the CFP marks, uh, they're a little 50 some odd years old. And there's approximately, I think, close to 100,000 certified financial planners. Uh, There are probably three, four, five times of that of people who call themselves financial advisors, financial planners, and whatever. And there's a lot of holes in the regulation. But to be a CFP, you have to pass an exam. Uh, you've got to go through usually two years of studying to, to prepare for the exam. You've got to um, have an undergraduate degree as well. And the main thing is the four, what they call the four E's, education, exam, um, experience, because you have to have a certain amount of years of experience, even if you pass the exam before you can use the marks, and ethics. Every two years, we have to get uh, uh, CEU credits, you know, continuing education credits. Two of them must be in ethics. So those are what they look at the four E's. So it hopefully is holding the CFP to a higher standard than anybody out there calling themselves a planner or an advisor. Because again, there's a lot of holes in the regulation that's out there today. Yeah, I would imagine so. Is there, in order to call yourself any sort of financial advisor, whatever term you want to use, people who advise people on finances, um, is there a licensing required no matter what? And then the CFP is an additional designation or is licensing potentially not even required for some people who kind of dabble in it? Yeah, good question. So if you're not selling what I'll call products, insurance, if you're selling insurance, you have to be licensed with the state insurance department. If you're selling investments for, uh, through a brokerage firm, you have to be licensed and, and pass exams for uh, the brokerage business. If you're just charging people fees, theoretically, you should be registered as an investment advisor with either the Securities and Exchange Commission or the local state um, you know, departments. Um, those are the regulatory areas. If somebody is out there just holding you know, the, themselves out as an advisor planner, and they're not selling product, they're just charging fees. Yes, they can kind of squeeze in there and uh, you know, not be regulated. Uh, the other thing is you see commercials today, insurance companies, banks, uh, brokerage firms, everybody's doing planning, everybody's provided. I always tell people, look at what, uh, who, who the person works for, because that's an indication of how they're approaching it. Many times people who work for an insurance company even if they're CFPs and they're financial planners or whatever, their answer many times is insurance. That seems to fit everybody's needs as a savings vehicle, you know, protecting life, retirement. It, it doesn't do all that properly. If you work in the brokerage business, it's about managing money. And this is the issue we run into many times in this, uh, in this profession is that a lot of smaller clients and may have very good incomes, but they don't have a lot of assets to manage. And many times the brokerage firms, it's about assets under management. They'll charge you, let's say 1% to manage it, but you've only got 50 or 100 or 200 or $300,000. They may not be wanting to deal with you because you don't have enough. So they're looking for the big, big accounts. But the reality is everybody needs financial planning. That's where sometimes the fee only or 
smaller planning firms or the independent boutiques, as I say, can work with all types of different clients. Yeah, and we we'll, we're definitely going to get into the different models because um, I think that's really one of the main things I wanted to cover today. But um, what I found in my own business and, and interacting with clients is that the people that need financial planning the most are those people that you described that don't have millions of dollars in the bank. They have every, every dollar counts um, as opposed to ultra wealthy who are more than happy to pay for financial planning and, and uh, asset management and all the other things that you mentioned. Um, but I really want to bring awareness to the fact that you don't have to be ultra wealthy to have a financial advisor and to benefit from working with them. Um, in fact, it might even be the opposite. The, the stronger need may be for people that don't have that, who are trying to build it over time and really you know, create a legacy within their family and, and just live a more comfortable life. Exactly. To be able to, you know, buy your home, send your kids to college, retire one day, having, you know, those are basic goals separate from, you know, whatever else you may throw in there. And people who are living, I don't want to say paycheck to paycheck, but funding a 401k, um, but don't have a lot of excess money. They're looking to build it up. Those are the people that often, you know, need more planning. It's time consuming because it's a lot of it is cash flow management. And a lot of planners don't want to be bothered with it. Right. Budgeting, all that type of stuff. Yeah. It's something that an asset manager doesn't usually want to deal with. Maybe they might help you if you have millions of dollars in an account with them, they might help you right. with that or have a side person within their company who might offer that just because they don't want to lose the assets under management. Exactly. But it's really kind of an afterthought is what I've, what I've experienced. Um, okay. Can you explain what a fiduciary is and why that's, you know, how that is relevant to the industry? Yes. I mean, fiduciary should be a straightforward term. It's basically putting the client's interests ahead of yours. And we act as fiduciaries. A lot of planners I know uh, act as fiduciaries. Um, There's with the CFP board and the CFP regulations, there's full disclosure that has to be done. Um, So what happens is many times though, people are saying they're fiduciary. It's the buzzword out there. Everybody now is a fiduciary. If you are working for, let's say an insurance company, providing financial planning and your main recommendations seem to be more insurance related, it's hard to say that you're really a fiduciary because you many times have a fiduciary relationship with your employer. If you have a fiduciary relationship with your employer, how do you have a same fiduciary relationship with your client? You can't put two entities both ahead of yourself and ahead of each other because it just doesn't make sense. So that's where there's sometimes conflicts and that's where, you know, and we'll probably get into it, you know, the questions to ask and how to look for a financial advisor or planner. Yeah. And that, that's a really important thing because I think, and it's similar in the mortgage industry where people throw around these terms, uh, oh, we're fiduciary, we're this, we're that. Um, But you're right. There are conflicts of interest with certain potentially types of advisors or, or bad apples, so to speak, who will claim to be that, but but in practice don't really uh, aren't really looking out for your interests. We've seen definitely some that you know have uh, that are sort of in house at large retail banks, where you know we'll see a client profile, and they're like, oh, this is my financial advisor who works at this big financial firm, and then you look at their asset statements, and almost all of their assets are in funds attached to that same company. And we've had situations before where clients of ours were actually an, an advisor who worked at those firms. And um, we had a great relationship. And he said, I think you're great, but I can't refer you because my company doesn't allow me to refer out. You know, Even though he chose to use us for his financing for various reasons, um, he said, I, I would love to refer you, but I can't. My company won't let me. You know, and, and that's may, sort of and they may be nice. saying they're a fiduciary as well, which obviously that may not be the case. Yeah, it's you can say it all day long, but if if you don't practice it, those are two very different things. <laughs> um, there's a lot of people that call themselves uh, uh, mortgage advisors who um, just quote rates for a living. That's basically the analogy we see in our industry. Um, okay, so let's dive into some of the different types of advisors um, and planners, and maybe some of the you know, just very top level kind of um, benefits and drawbacks to each. So, you know, like fee only assets under management. I know there are some that are hybrid. 
Um, and then I think maybe we can also touch on like some special purchase, uh, sorry, special purpose firms that are tied to a cause or um, those seem to be a little more popular. Um, there's one I know of that that we work with that, um, you know, helps our clients invest in women owned business businesses, for example. And then there's a new thing that's also kind of come out about financial therapists. So I kind of want to get your opinion on that as well. But maybe we can we'll, yeah. we'll cover that in a second. But just kind of the basic models of different types of companies or people that that are in the industry. So it goes back to really compensation methods. So fee-only planners like ourselves and others around the country, we only charge clients fees. Most of the time it's paid by what they call asset under management. So if they're managing a million dollars or two million, they're charging maybe 1%, maybe a little less, a little bit more what they're managing and it changes every quarter based on the market values. They may be charging a separate fee for financial planning or they may be including it all. Um, and that is one method. The other way of fee only, which is more, it's growing in popularity, it's what we do. We look at a total client, total net worth. We have a fee schedule. We lock the fee in for three years and every three years, we adjust it based on the total net worth, not including real estate. Uh, then you have commission only planners and they're compensated based on what they sell. So if they're working at a, an insurance company, they're selling insurance, that's how they're paid. Even they, though they may be doing planning, it's really to sell a product. Then, or if they're at a brokerage firm, uh, even people in banks, you know, sometimes bankers get paid points to bring in a client for mortgage or something else or accounts. And clients don't realize that. The other type is the hybrid, the fee and commission. Uh, sometimes it's called fee-based. Whenever I hear that term, to me, it doesn't mean fee only. It means that they're charging fees and they can earn commission. Are they? It's hard to say. We see a lot of people with the big brokerage firms, for instance, where they are putting your money in a managed account where the manager through the firm are charging, let's say 1%, and they are supposedly doing financial planning, and it may be all-inclusive in that fee, it may not be. And, and the main thing I always tell people is ask questions ask people how they're compensated. Full disclosure, years and years ago, we were on the fee and commission side and we told the client what the fee is. And if we earned a commission, we disclosed it and we offset the fee, that's all. Um, but the bottom line is you should know how your planner advisor is being compensated. And if they won't answer, they can't answer. Is it a good relationship if they can't answer a basic question of how much you're making from me being a client? So those are the kind of the fee only, uh, the hybrid, which is the fee offset or, or not offset, but the uh, fee and commission and then the commission only. Those are usually the standard models out there. Okay. And commission only would include just somebody who's more or less an asset manager where they're managing. No, and, and, you know, if they're an asset manager, they're probably fee only, they're charging a percentage of what they're managing. I view that sometimes like a commission, but whatever, that's not my personal uh, issues I have with the, with a whole financial services industry. But the reality is, is that they're charging a fee. And the, the good and the bad is that if the markets take a hit, like we've seen this year, their fees go down. But on the other hand, if you think about it, how often do people need more help when the markets are going down and then they're being paid less? It just, as a fee model, makes no sense. Uh, so it's really when you get into the commission side of it, it's going to be most of the time, it's going to be the insurance companies, sometimes the uh, big wirehouses. And many times what they do in a big firms is they're putting part of your money in a managed account where it's, let's say, 1%. And another part of it, they're putting it into mutual funds where they're paid a commission. And they're managing that. And people are, I would say, 9 out of 10 times, if not 100% of the time, people have no idea what, they're, what they have because they're trusting the, the person they're working with. I'm not saying one method is necessarily better than the other, but if you know what you're paying, you can make the right decisions. Absolutely. And then maybe you could just touch briefly on some of these more unique, uh, I wouldn't say fringe type of arrangements, but there are some um, companies that only manage assets that are invested in special purposes, whatever it may be. 
and then the financial therapists as well. It's just kind of a yeah. another thing that's coming on the on the horizon. So there are definitely groups out there that work with special, uh, you know, women's groups that they look for management of investments and whatever, and try to stay more onto you know uh, women who are managing it and so on. And most of the time, that's fine as long as the choices they're making. Look, there, there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of investment choices between mutual funds, exchange traded funds individual stock bonds, whatever. So if they can match what the allocation should be based on the client's goals and objectives, and that's the planning process, that could work fine. Some of them, I mean, there's a lot of, when you get into other areas of management, you have to just make sure that whatever they say they're doing, they really are, are walking the walk, because many times they're not necessarily doing that. As far as the financial therapists, um, it's that, and it also gets into financial coaching. And there's, there's, it's confusing sometimes. What's a financial coach, a therapist versus a financial planner? Sometimes there's no difference. Sometimes there's a lot of a, dif a lot of differences. When you get into behavioral finance, and this is probably getting deeper than we need to, but you look, people, how you handle money goes back to how you were raised and how you saw your family managing money. And often people in a relationship, spouses, partners, whatever, have completely different views of how to manage money and different views of spending and so on and how to bring that together. And we have clients that call us their financial therapist. Years ago, I had a client who was a, a, a therapist and used to, you know, basically call me his therapist for money. Uh, we have clients often that, you know, we'll be talking to them and, you know, all of a sudden it gets emotional about money or they're arguing and they apologize because they think we never deal with this. And I tell them we deal with this more often than you think. Uh, but yeah. there are definitely people who just deal with coaching and therapy on finances. They're not there to implement. They're usually not going to do real financial planning, but they are serving a need that is often there that people need to work through issues dealing with money because money has a lot of uh, ties to a good, better, and different, a lot of guilt sometimes when you, you know, come into money, especially. It does. Yeah. We, where we see that is in um, sometimes succession planning for families that are handing money down to their children. And maybe those children are not uh, on the same page about the distribution or how it should be handled or, you know, and some have control over each other's trust and it gets, it gets messy. And then you have people who are either mingling financing finances because they're joining forces in marriage or or combining households of you know and then also in divorce as well right. those those are the ones that we see often and it it money is definitely emotional it, it's probably i think i don't know i saw some statistic that that was one of the biggest causes of divorce um because it's so emotional and and so powerful and you know it's not easy to manage and that's well, a why lot of times people yeah. say if i you know if i came into money if i won the lottery everything would be good and we've had clients that won the lottery or inherit a lot of money and doesn't change anything it just yeah. means they can spend more and often they're spending too much at that point but it, it really doesn't change their lives drastically in many ways because right. they now have to deal with that money and it's not always easy yeah absolutely um, so on that topic, um, a lot of people you mentioned kind of get advice from family members or they get advice based on, you know, their parents or their grandparents who, you know, did well financially and made some choices at those times, but maybe they don't have the same perspective of what's going on now. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about people who think that they can get financial advice or the benefits or drawbacks from family members, from CPAs, from, you know, other people that aren't necessarily in the financial planning community per se? Yeah. So the first thing I, I use as an analogy is if you're getting advice from your family members, would you ask your family members for medical advice? If they're not a doctor, probably right. not. I mean, you may crowdsource and get 4 million opinions, but it doesn't mean it's right. So working with somebody who knows the area and, and really can do it professionally makes sense. And finding the right financial planner, as we talked about a little bit, can be difficult too sometimes. But you want to make sure that the people you're engaging are there and have the expertise to provide you with the right advice and the right services. As far as CPAs and attorneys, 
we we have a few clients I work with an account who is always telling them he's very conservative, put everything in treasuries. Now, right now, treasury yields are higher, but you know, long term, that is not always the best place. So many times CPAs, they don't have the expertise in financial planning and investments. Uh, many times attorneys, uh, they don't have the expertise for sure in, in, in a lot of these areas. And usually attorneys are not gonna cross over. They, they realize the legal liabilities of doing so. Um, there are CPAs that definitely are trained in financial planning uh, and that's okay if they're competent, but you really need to be careful that many times people don't wanna pay for advice. And that's, that's really what the issue comes down to. And if you go to five financial planners, advisors, you could get five different models of how this works. And that's where you know asking the right questions is important. But I always tell people, stay in your lanes meaning if you're a CPA and accountant, stay in your tax planning. We, we want to work together for tax planning. If you're an attorney, same thing. Uh, if you're getting advice from your family or parents because they've done very well, you know, many times when you start to get into people's finances, sometimes they're lucky, sometimes they did well. What they did may not be the right choice for you because so many people look at financial planning as just money, it's just managing your money. It's not. The car, like I said, it will get you somewhere, but unless you know where you're going, it doesn't help. And asking a family member, they don't know what your journey is or what you want to do. It's a conversation of what's important to you. Right. Yeah. And if you look back, you know, let's say 50 years ago, if you're getting advice from someone who built wealth 50 years ago, it looked very, the landscape looked completely different. Yeah. You know, it's probably, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, probably mostly, you know, blue chip type of stocks and, and now you've got startups, you've got cryptocurrency, you've got, um, you know, all sorts of different alternative investments that just didn't even exist then. So the strategies have to adapt to the times. The strategies do. And Wall Street is great for developing products to get people to put money into things that they probably, in many cases, have no idea what they're investing in. And I'm not saying everybody has to know everything, but um, there are products out there sometimes that people should just avoid and and. I'll use Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies as an example. I'm not saying people should avoid them, but when I know I get questions from people who never would ever ask a question like that, uh, what, why shouldn't we put money in there? What it says to me is they're following what the media is talking about and how much money people have talked they made. And it's probably a time that we're getting close to the top of a market uh, and really to be careful uh, because once everybody's talking about it, usually... It's too, late, right? it's too late, right? <laughs> you've, you've missed the golden opportunity if, right. if everyone's already talking about it. So same thing with real estate. Yeah. Um, so so as far as the cost of, of um, financial planning, which I know varies and the models vary, but, you know, again, we find that people that are, you know, higher net worth tend to justify the cost um, and others don't. So maybe you can talk a little bit about like, how the cost uh, relates to what you what benefits um, a client can actually have over the long run. Because I think when people understand that, I think they'll understand that even if they don't have, you know, if they have, let's say, $50,000 in the bank and they're thinking, oh, I don't want to pay for a financial advisor to manage $50,000, they're not necessarily thinking about it the right way. Right. So the first thing I would tell people is don't think about managing $50,000. Think about it as managing and helping you to on your life's journey. Because somebody has $50,000 or whatever number, first questions I'm asking, what do you want to, what are your goals? Where do you want to be? When do you want to retire? If you have children, what kind of college education? Private, public? Should they have some skin in the game? Do you want to pay for it all? Uh, and many times spouses have, or parents have different, you know, views of that. Uh, so what is, you know, do you want to buy a new house? Do you want to buy a second home? What are you trying to accomplish? What's your journey? And then figuring out, you know, how the money plays into that. And that's the key because most of the time, the people who have 50,000 in the bank can't get good advice because the bank may say, yeah, we can help you. More often than not, they're putting them into either mutual funds or annuities, which people don't understand that many times they're locked in for a period of time or selling insurance or something. So if they don't have a lot, it's hard to find a financial planner that'll work with them because they want to charge an asset under management fee of 1% and they may have a, a, 
a $500,000 minimum or sometimes a two or $3 million minimum. Right. Um, so people have to look for the planners and there are resources. You know, we tell people, you know, if you go to the CFP board, which is basically a regulatory uh, group, the certified financial planner, you can screen there and find CFPs in your area. You can go to the FPA, Financial Planning Association, and they have planner search, screen for CFPs in your area. So there are ways to find financial planners and get information and interview some to see if they will work with you and are you, can, do you want to work with them, find the right people. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to touch on that in just a minute because I think that's okay. really important because there's, just like mortgages, there is way too much information out there, <laughs> just way too much. And it it doesn't help consumers. I think it, it confuses them and makes them uh, somewhat paralyzed as far as making these decisions. So I definitely yeah. want to get into just that. Just to go back to, you know, the thing is to take away the emphasis from the money and put the emphasis on your on your life. Look at it from a, a holistic viewpoint, a 30,000 foot level. What is my life? What am I looking to accomplish? What are my goals and objectives? That's planning. Not about, oh, I got money in the bank, so what do I do with it? Figure out what you want to do and then figure out how the money fits in. Right. So it's not about making the money grow from 50 to 60 to 70 and then some. It's That's part of it, but that's only a, a small fraction of, of what people need to be thinking about. Yeah. Otherwise, they're in a car driving around trying to find you know their destination and have no idea where they're going. Right. Right. Yeah. Just based on the sun up above, which direction right. they might they might be headed. <laughs> Um, okay. And then what do you, what about getting advice off the internet? Because there's so many resources out there, of, you know, uh, oh, buy this stock, buy that stock or, or other types of financial advice. What's your take on people diagnosing their finances on the internet? Um, there's too much information out there. Um, it can be very dangerous. Uh, and that's the problem we see is that people are making, you know, I remember years ago, I was on a, a back in the days of radio call, call and shows, doing a, a few shows. And I've been on CNBC answering, you know, live questions years ago. And you're answering it generically for people. It's not as specific as that should be because we could have three clients, same exact ages and money and everything, but their goals are different. So the information that's out there on the internet and, you know, on TV and CNBCs of the world and so on, it can be very it can be more generic than you need. It's not as specific to you. So, but everybody, you know, will get information today. You know, if somebody has a medical problem, they go online and they find 10 different people to give them recommendations. Sometimes there's consistency, sometimes not. So you have to be very careful. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing okay. I will say though, uh, you know, like using something like mint.com is something that's good as an app because it helps you to manage your finances, your, your money, your budgets and so on. And that's, that's a key part, managing your cash flow. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, and, and like I was saying earlier, for people that maybe don't have millions of dollars in the bank, including myself, um, you know, those, the, the budgeting is a really important piece of it because, you know, like I said, every dollar counts, um, you know, as you're growing your, your financial wherewithal over time. So, um, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned mint. That was one thing that uh, yeah. I had on my list. To and, ask and just about. to add on to that, you know, when we do the planning, many times you've got people have a few different goals and we say how much you need to save for each of the goals. And then people say, well, I can't afford to do that. So we have to talk about, okay, what are the priorities? You know, you could borrow for education for your children. You can't borrow for retirement. Are you willing to work later? Are you willing to have less in retirement if you want to retire early? What are the trade-offs so that you can make the proper decisions now that you can reach your goals? Because many times people don't even think about that. And it's knowing it goes back to cash flow and budgeting. Yeah, yeah and just put money in a 401k and assume that they're going to retire very comfortably uh, you know, down the road and hope that the, the, the time that they retire is when their 401k is at a, a peak of value and not, not a dip. Right. It's not going to work that way. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about, um, I want to kind of end this conversation with a discussion about how to find the right advisor. And you mentioned a couple of online resources through the um, uh, Financial Planning Association, another one 
Um, like what would the criteria, like what should people be asking? What criteria should they use to, uh, to gauge who might be the right type of advisor for them? Obviously the first, one of the first questions is compensation, how you're compensated. I would tell people if they work for a big insurance firm or brokerage firm, are you going to recommend mainly insurance or your company's products? Or do you have the independence to find the best products and the best solutions for me and my family? So that's an important question. How are they compensated really? Um, I guess before that, looking for CFPs, certified financial planners. I think that's that's crucial in this process. Um, doesn't mean that they're Every CFP is good. Doesn't mean that non-CFPs can't do a good job, but at least there is a criteria. There's education, ethics, exams, and you know that tie into that. So, CFP, how they're compensated, um, and interview a few different planners. Many times, asking friends for referrals of someone they're comfortable with. I mean, in all honesty, majority of our clients are referral based. We could do all the social media as we want out there, but the reality is. People come in because they were referred from other clients. And obviously we have confidentiality, but we're helping them. So that's where the comfort level will start. So asking family and friends who they're using is fine, but don't rely on that person only. And the other thing is find someone that you're comfortable with. You know, I've had people come into us that they met with other firms and they just didn't like, or they're switching to us. They just didn't like the people or the, you know, the person you know, made them feel bad for making a decision. You know, we were taught early on in this business, one, listen to what people are saying. Two is to make sure that we're, in listening, we're following what you're looking to do, not what we think is best. I mean, sure, somebody can come in. I, I know what, kind of have a sense of what direction we may go in, but it may not, you know, and that's where the listening comes in. Um, so if the personalities don't work with, you know, your family, you, your, you know, family with the, uh, planner, then they can be a great planner, but it may just not be a good fit. You want someone you're comfortable talking to, because when you get into planning the proper way, you get into issues of things you've never discussed if you're a couple together. And we have many times when people say, we've never talked about that. And these are the important conversations that many times people avoid is the money conversations. Right. And nothing, nothing forces them to have that conversation more than having an uh, quote unquote outsider sitting in right. front of them, having yeah. those discussions and bring up the topics that they may be a little nervous to bring up on their own. Right. And that's where the listening and the discussion part is the most important versus the money part. The money right. is important, but having that discussion and figuring out what to do is, is key. It's difficult. Yeah. And, and sometimes people that don't have advisors will come, for example, to us for a mortgage application. We've had situations before where one of one person of the couple reached out to us privately and said, please don't let them know about the debt that I have. Um, you know, like that's that's playing with fire. <laughs> and, and when you're on the same loan application, not so easy to hide from the other person who's sitting at the closing right. table signing the same loan application that you're signing. Um, but we do see that that type of thing fairly often where people who have joined in life together may not have fully disclosed all of the challenges that they may have. And um, that's why, you know, money money matters are really critical for uh, people who are joining forces in, in life sure. in general. So so let's let's use a real life example. So I'll put you on the spot a little bit here. So what what's the worst mistake you've ever seen somebody make? that didn't have an advisor, like that just, God, you wish you had talked to them beforehand so that you could um, advise differently. I would say there's, the biggest mistake I see people have is now they're ready to retire and they come in for financial planning. Like, <laughs> okay, I'm retiring and this is what I need. And we go through the numbers and say, that's not gonna last you. You know, people look at retirement as an end goal. Well, most people, if you retire, you're in the sixties today, You've got a third of your life ahead of you. And most people go into retirement, they have no idea. They have all these projects and goals. And after three months, they said, okay, I've done it all. Now what do I do? Um, you have a third of your life ahead of you. So coming in at that point, it's like college. You know, Okay, my kid's going to college uh, next semester. I need to plan now. 
you missed that opportunity, college you can borrow for it. You can't for retirement. So I think that's the biggest area that we've seen, you know, a problem that people come in too late to deal with something. Right. Uh, and now all we can work it with is what we have versus what could have been. Um, right. Which is probably still a valuable service, but you could have been more valuable if they brought you in earlier. It's tough to tell somebody um, you you retired already um, and you need $100,000, let's say, to live on, and you're going to run out of money in about eight years. And I've I've had that experience having to tell people you need to cut back, extremely, you know, fine tune your budget way down, or, you know, find another job. And, And just as a some of this is personal because without getting too deep into it, you know, I mentioned that behavioral finance, are, we learn from what we experience. My parents were in the, in the garment center in New York. Um, their accountant told them when they were, when he was, my father, 51, you can retire. They continued living the same lifestyle. I was just getting into the business. First plan I ever did. I said, you're going to be out of money in nine years. And the reality was it was probably 10 or 11 years because they made some changes. And I wound up supporting them for years. And I mean, my father recently passed away at 93. Um, so that left such a mark that this really happens. This stuff is real. And if you don't get the good advice, because they got bad advice from an accountant, uh, they never planned. They went into something blind that, oh, they can do this. And it happens more often than not. Now, today, people have, you know, through work, they have their 401ks and things like that. I, I would say another big mistake people who've done their own planning. And I've had this a couple of times, people come in and they say, well, I want someone to look at it. And we'll look at it. And I I remember a case a few years ago, they did their own planning. There was a teacher getting a pension. They inputted the pension twice by accident. So yeah, retirement looked great. The reality is when we pointed that out, retirement did not look good at all. So they're doing their own planning. And all of a sudden now they made decisions based on that and they were in trouble. Yeah, and we've I've seen clients who um, just to give my own war story, uh, where you know they're they're coming in for a refinance or a purchase or whatever it may be, or trying to figure out how can they purchase, and you know young working family, you know like a young family making really good money, half a million dollars a year, and they've got a million and a half dollars in retirement, and and they're living paycheck to paycheck because they put so much into retirement, they're not thinking about like, I have to send my kids to school in a few years when they you know, are not in diapers anymore. And, um, and we've seen a lot of those profiles that are just completely out of whack with yeah. what they might need in the short term while also focusing on the long-term. So- yeah. yeah, and I would say another issue we've run into and less these days, because you'll know better than I, you know, how, how mortgages work, but Years ago, people, I mean, you barely needed to fog a mirror to get a mortgage and people were just so over leveraged. And we saw that in the savings and loan crisis back in the 80s. We saw it during 2007, 8, 9. Uh, people just were able to get mortgages they could never afford. And then when the more, you know, real estate values went down and they lost their job, they were in trouble. Today, it's, you know, as you know, it's, it's, things are underwritten much more carefully um, and, and that's good. If anything, people complain about the process, but you know, I've told people it's protecting you in the long run. Right. And so. and you mentioned, you know, your own experience, which is actually really powerful because you could you if you don't plan ahead, you could potentially be putting a significant financial burden on somebody else you care about, you know, and, you know, sounds like you were, you were able to find a way to make it work for your family, but some people may not be. And then what, you know, like the implications are really significant. They, they are. And, you know, that's why they, the sandwich generation, you're taking care of your kids and your parents. And all my clients always say, I don't want to be dependent on my children, but many times they wind up being, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, usually we have the, the children as our clients who are helping the parents. Right. Sometimes we'll get involved to help the parents, you know, just as either pro bono or just as part of the services. Uh, but it's something they never envisioned, but they never planned. Right. And and I think people also underestimate how important it is to start early in your financial life because you can do so much more. You can plan for all these different stages of your life. Um And so young people just, in my opinion, aren't getting this financial advice. This is exactly why we wanted to do this session is because so many people need this badly 
and they're not getting in or they think, like you said, you know, I'll, when I'm retiring, then I'll start planning. But you're right. You can't do that. It's kind of like real estate's the same way. There's this adage that that people use that say, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate, and then wait, like to allow the compounding over time. And that's where you really can benefit. And I think financial planning is similar in that the earlier you start, whether it be retirement planning or putting money aside for investments, it compounds over time. People underestimate how impactful that can be. Exactly. Because when you look at people's lives, if you're younger, starting out, you don't have the family obligations. Your first big goal is buying a house. The next is, you know, you need a new car. You know, all of a sudden you turn around and 20 years went by and now you're worried about college and retirement, but you were paying for everything else. The early years when you don't have all those responsibilities, maxing out on your 401k or 403b retirement plans, saving as much as you can, because later on you may not be able to afford to save as much. And at least you've got a good start. And that's the most important thing is, you know, getting that good start without a doubt. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the most important takeaways from today is to start as early as you can. You can't go backwards in time. Obviously, nobody has a time machine, but start now. If you haven't already started, start now. And the last thing I'll say about that, you know, it's like you, you don't feel well, you have a problem. Do you wait to go to the doctor until it's so bad and now it's too late? You want to go early when you first are seeing something so they can diagnose it and go forward. I realize, you know, that the medical analogies, you know, are, are, there's so many of them, but it, there is a similarity. Take care of, you know, diagnose what you need to do now so that you'll be okay in the future. Absolutely. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Your, your insight is very valuable. Your, your resume is impressive as always. And, um, and I just always enjoy talking with you and, and sharing your insight. You know, I, I hope that the group has learned a lot of new things, but but mainly just that the value of planning is so significant and the impact of it is so much greater when you start early. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the On The Mark podcast. Wherever you're listening, please leave a review. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with others. You can also follow us on our social accounts and find us at markmyman.com to connect directly. Be sure to take a look at the show notes for all the important links and I'll see you next time.